Support for WVIK comes from Kathleen Collins at the Dragonfly in Bettendorf. Using both conventional and alternative counseling methods for empowerment to help create change for individuals and couples. More information is at KathleenCollinsCounseling.com. Support for The Great Quad Cities Listen comes from the Joyce and Tony Singh Family Foundation. I am Helen Stahl, Dick Stahl's wife, and I'm interviewing him so he can share his story and our story with the Quad Cities community as part of the Great Quad Cities Listen series. Helen and Dick Stahl met in the Dankman Library on the Augustana College campus in Rock Island. I first saw you on the second floor in Old Main, and I hope that I would see you again. When I saw you sitting in the library about noon one October day, I decided to introduce myself to you and talk to you for a while. He worked up the courage to talk to her. He asked her out for coffee and then a movie. Then they started dating. They married and have lived in Davenport ever since. Helen Stahl worked as a teacher at Pleasant View Elementary School, and Dick Stahl taught English at Central High School. In this interview, recorded at the German American Heritage Center in Davenport, Dick Stahl shares stories about growing up near the Mississippi River and how his love for the Mississippi has manifested itself in his poetry. Tell us something about your early life on your dad's Woggy Dairy Milk Road. My grandparents, Marcus and Laura Woggy, started the dairy on their farm west of Waverly Road in Davenport. This meant it was outside the city limits. But early on, they moved east of Waverly Road to take advantage of better roads and city services. Marcus delivered milk in downtown Davenport by horse and wagon. His team of horses called Victor and George. I went on the milk route with my dad on Saturdays and all summer for as long as I can remember until I graduated from Davenport High School in 1957. The Dempsey Hotel was one of his first stops every day. But the Colorado Cafe across Main Street from the Davenport Public Library was the hub of my universe. He delivered half pints of whole milk and pints of coffee cream twice a morning and sometimes again in the afternoon or night. Since it was located near the Rock Island Lines train station in Davenport and was open 24 hours a day, the business was very good. I collected the empty half pints into wire cases, and I guess that's how I got my nickname, Half Pint. <laughs> he and I went to the Davenport Public Library every Saturday morning to check out books. That was a required part of the milk route, too. My dad also spent hours every day delivering milk to Second Street, businesses like S.S. Kresge Company, F.W. Woolworth, Schlegels, and W.T. Grant Company, located on the corner. How did going on the milk route with your dad lead you to the Mississippi River? F.W. Woolworth's only they only let employees and food vendors inside the store before it opened. 
So I asked Dad if I could walk down to the river. Yes, he said, but just remember, you play with the Mississippi River, you lose. I took his advice. Walking in LeClaire Park early in the morning became so much a vital part of me and later of my poems. I even tried to find hook, line, and sinker to fish for a few minutes from the ferry boat dock or the seawall. But the images of the great river and the profound sense of nature, the beauty and peace stayed with me. Fishermen in rowboats, long towboats locking through, the docked excursion boat pipe dream, the stippled sunlight on the rolling waves all had a huge influence on me. What or who influenced you to become a poet? Well, let's see. I took an English literature course from Rowell Tweed at Augustana. When we read Beowulf in class, he gave us uh, some assignment choices, one of which was to write a poem in the style of Anglo-Saxon poetry with four beats per line, uh, lots of alliteration, and lots of action. I turned in a poem called A Warrior's Lament, and at a later class session, he read it aloud to the class as an example, I hope, of a good poetic response to the assignment. Maybe I can do this, I thought, and I did. You became the first Quad City Poet Laureate in September 2001. How has that experience of a two-year term, 2001-2003, changed you? As Poet Laureate, I, I sometimes wrote new poems to accommodate new audiences. Uh, I had to read in front of audiences from preschool through college to adult as we traveled around the six counties. And I gave readings in all six counties, Scott, Muscatine, and Clinton in Iowa, and Rock Island Henry in Mercer County in Illinois. I also did two major projects at Quad City Arts. The 9-11 tragedy happened shortly after my installation as Poet Laureate. And so I think one result of becoming Poet Laureate was that I, I certainly became more aware of current events and public events in my writing, uh, of more occasional poems, and I even got calls for writing Christmas poems and spring poems and kite poems for little kids, for example. So uh, being Poet Laureate influenced me a lot, I think, not only in my writing, but in, I think in realizing that, that poetry, uh, as they sometimes say, is alive and well in this community. You did so much research and writing on the Grand Excursion in 1854 for the reenactment of the sesquicentennial in 2004. How did all that affect you? Uh, very much. Um, yes, because I really hadn't read too much about that, and Roald Tweet suggested, well, maybe you better find out a few things. Uh, because it's going to come to the, the reenactment will be soon. And so I started my long research. And then uh, I read about Henry Farnham. And of course, there's a Farnham Street in Davenport. Uh, Henry Farnham was the self-made man. He was the chief surveyor 
the civil engineer surveying for the Rock Island Railroad line between Chicago and Rock Island. And he was the first one to build a railroad track through Illinois to reach the Mississippi River. There was kind of a contest to see who could get to the Mississippi River first, and he won. And then in 1856, uh, he helped to build the first railroad bridge across the Mississippi River. And so that was one big historical event, especially for this area, but for the country. Uh, and I wrote a book of poems about the many dignitaries on, the, on that train ride from Chicago to Rock Island and then on the steamboat. Uh, from Rock Island then to St. Paul, and the book was called Mr. Farnham's Guest. Our latest book, Bluffing, was published in the fall of 2016. Is this more about your favorite topic, the Mississippi? Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> I seem to be hypnotized by the Mississippi, I think, and that again goes back to when I was a kid, and I, I mentioned earlier about walking down to the river every morning alone, and I don't think there was a seven- or eight-year-old kid within five miles of this place at that time, and so I had it all to myself. But anyway, um, the, the last book then is Bluffing, and Bluffing then took us to the top of 33 bluffs along the Mississippi River for at least a photograph and a poem, and one person who wrote a blurb for the book said that it was a hybrid book. It wasn't just another book of poetry, which you can kind of see from the size of the book. This is an eight by eight. The pages, the page, the paper is slick because of the photographs. The photographs are in color, and we visited and revisited bluffs again and again. I think the photographs and the uh, poems work together to form a pretty good unified um, a book. So. And so, in a sense, um, all of my books are about the Mississippi. Do you have any future writing plans? Well, stay tuned. <laughs> um, you never know what's around the bend for us and the Great River. Here we're sitting looking out the, out the window at the Great River. And so, I think overall, uh, we enjoy walking in nature. Uh, we have our own walking sticks canes, whatever we need. So the question was future writing plans. Well, you never know. I guess we're as unpredictable as the river out there. So, but Would any, you like to read some of your poems yeah, in your books? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll try that. Uh, <clears throat> one, one early book was Under the Green Tree Hotel. And the Green Tree Hotel is a tree that acted as a, acted as a free hotel for raftsmen and for Rapids pilots in this area. But uh, uh, we were walking in uh, Guttenberg on, on the riprap, they call the riprap here on the rocks, and we found a, a piece of wood that had been uh, skinned by the river. And so I'll read the poem, but that became kind of our lifeline. So it's called With a Mississippi Walking Stick. This river's rhythm live inside my soft pine leg. A crooked branch some backwater pulled down, nearly drowning its face before the current lifted it, peeling it clean as a cane. This driftwood ran the channel until it grounded in my hands, 
but it remembers the bends and twists and whirlpools of the river. This stick teases my shoulders like the heady fizz of a Mississippi highball. My fingers drink the sweep straight handle again, the hold I need to work my lungs and shoulders and river legs. No part of this stick is straight. Some twist, puff into knots. The bark has been skinned off for easier handling. As I walk back to the Green Tree Hotel and wander ten feet away, the bottom noses down, closing its fork like a divining rod, driving me back to the river and to the hotel to wait for my next birth. And so that, it was just, it was, in, it was almost a profile of the Mississippi, and, and where you actually held the stick was almost like the rapids. So anyway, that's my poem with a Mississippi walking stick. Would you like to read one from the Grand Excursion? Uh, from the Grand Excursion, I would probably choose John Frederick Kensett, and I, I, would, I, I chose him because he was a landscape painter, and uh, he did a couple of things. He did an eight and a half by eleven sketch by pencil of Lake Pepin, and then in 1855 he did an oil painting that was entitled Upper Mississippi River, but the river changed him. His style became more of sunlight. In fact, he called it luminism, but basically it was sunlight. And his paintings then of the Mississippi, in fact, one American guidebook author called a worthy scene a Kensett. It was a Kensett, almost like it was a moment that you saw something very beautiful on the on the river. And so I guess in our travels, we have hoped to discover our, our Kensetts. Anyway, John Frederick Kensett paints the upper Mississippi River. The channel's in charge here, driving between the thick lines of trees and islands, some oaks and cottonwoods and maples, leaning to kiss the water, others uprooted, floating whole in the current, hostages to the water's loving embrace. Free-floating rafts drift south as raftsmen muscle their long wooden oars into the river's murky flesh and hold on as their huge doors of cut and finished timber close over the swirls and whirlpools and eddies that otherwise thin them dizzy down the water lanes. The river's secret lies below the waterline, unseen, unchecked, its own wild pilot, shiftless as the bottom sands that change commands by the second. My drawing hand taps beads of water and slides underneath as I sketch the bends of this watery highway down the spine of the country, even as my eyes climb rows of rugged bluffs like rising teeth on either side. The narrows ahead shimmer with morning light as the flotilla meanders north, drawn upriver into the silence of the sun. You've been mentioning the Mississippi River and all the bluffs, and would you like to read another poem about the bluffs? Well, I'd like to read uh, one that is really, I think, kind of a model of what I was trying to do. What I was trying to do was to climb the bluff, take a picture. I was, instead of Ralph Waldo Emerson looking up, I become Henry David Thoreau, and I look down. I want to look down, and I want to see the 
you know, the water lines. I want to see what the river's doing. Uh, I want to see the slough. I want it to be wild. I don't want a lot of concrete and steel. I want to see, I wonder what this river was like, you know, ages and ages and ages ago. I wonder how wide it was, how terrific it was. Um, and this, I'm, I'm now in Alma, Wisconsin. I'm at Buena Vista Park, and it is wild there. I mean, there's no railing. There are no steps like, you know, real nice, you know, steps. Uh, it, it's wild up there, and you have to watch what you're doing because one step and, you know. Um, and so this is called the Wiggle Waggle Slough area, and uh, it's, very, it's where the Mississippi kind of turns to the west, <clears throat> kind of the channel, the main channel turns to the west to go, to go across. And so I entitled the poem, Why the Wiggle Waggle Wears So Well. It's the name of the slough, Wiggle Waggle. I enter Wiggle Waggle Slough here in Alma to learn a water dance from the best a teacher ever, the Mississippi River. From the bluff, I catch the backwater rhythms scripted along this ancient maze to spawn marine life and highly accented motion. The upper wiggle waggles in the head and shoulders, the chest and torso. I turn and twist, shimmy and snake, shaking off any sloth, while the lower wiggle waggles all legs, squats and fancy pirouettes, footwork that traces sturgeon fins and frantic mud puppy squirms. Dancing back to my car, I swing my life spirit into this mystery of connections. The young lovers who pass me hand in hand toward the overlook shake their heads. They think I'm bluffing. Thank you to Helen and Dick Stahl for sharing your stories with the Great Quad Cities Listen. To hear more stories or to schedule a time to record your own, visit greatqclisten.org. This project was made possible thanks to a generous sponsorship from the Joyce and Tony Singh Family Foundation.